Hi, you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. My name is Brandon Vogt. I was the host for this show, which featured Minneapolis City Councilman from Ward 6, Abdi Warsami. We talked a lot about what it means that he is the highest elected Somali-American official in America and how that influences his reach both kind of locally, but then also how he's seen as both a national and even international figure. We also talked about where... Uh, Somali Americans are going as a political organization, that they've recently been activated and are taking a much more proactive approach in politics and trying to get uh, candidates elected and getting their voice heard, and uh, how did that happen and where is it going? We also talked about uh, his sort of halfway through his first term and what he feels like his major accomplishments were and what he feels he needs to do yet. He also let slip that he had written a play when he was much younger, and so we also talked about that. I hope you enjoy the show. Let's start off with a very easy question. So you're about halfway through your term, your first term on the city council. What sort of reflections do you have on that? You're halfway. What does that mean? Do you think it's going to get easier or harder from here on out? Uh, It's going to get harder. Why why is it going to get harder? Because it just does. (laughs) As you, you know, spend more time in the city council, you realize that it's a very difficult job and only very few talented people like myself can do it. <laughs> uh, so it gets harder. So is it, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but do you think it's harder or easier than the Tenants Association? Um, it's much easier than the Tenants right. Association. Why is, why is that? Because you're both dealing, to some extent, with the same sort of constituents. Is it just different problems, different challenges? Oh, you don't get as much respect on the Tennis Association. Why not? Because you're not a city council member. Oh. So it's because... You're you're not Honorable Abdi (laughs) Orsami. So um, you are the first Somali-American to be a city council member in Minneapolis, and uh, you currently hold the highest elected uh, office of any Somali-American in the country. Mm -hmm. And so what I think is very interesting about that is your sort of... You're the, the vanguard for the Somali political movement, in a way. Mm-hmm. And so h- how do you think you got here? How did, how did you get elected at this time, in 2013? Um, by luck, hard work, and um, it was just the right time. You know, everything fell into place. You know, uh, the, the community was uh, on ascendancy. They felt uh, that they could have uh, representation because there's a large Somali-American population in the Twin Cities, and uh, nobody tapped into that energy and drive as our campaign did. So I think it was just, you know, everything fell into place. We had a lot of talented individuals, and I say we, it wasn't me. You know, I I was running the campaign most of the time, but we had a lot of young, talented Somalis who who stepped up, Um, a lot of volunteers, you know, the community supported the campaign by, you know, raising money. We outraised our competitor, who was an incumbent, who was a, who was a seasoned politician. So, you know, it just showed that there was a machine that we could tap into and build upon. So where, where is that machine going? So it feels like if, if you say you were there at the right place at the right time and it was some luck, what, what, what is going to happen in the future with all of these people that feel activated and involved and feel like they have a voice? I mean, I think it bodes well for the future, for the Somali community in, 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 in the Twin Cities and in the United States. And even our election had an effect in the, on the Somali diaspora. So, you know, I have a, a distant cousin of mine who's now 
an MP in Canada who's, who's part of the, you know, the Justin Trudeau Liberal Party. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was elected, you know, less, six months ago when the, when, when, when the, when the Liberal uh, Party took over. And he was inspired by our story in Minneapolis and, and copied some of the tactics that we had in terms of engaging and energizing the community. How, how did he do? Did he do them well or he better? Did, oh, he did well. He, he's, he's a federal MP. I'm just a council <laughs> member. Don't be, don't be so modest. Because, in fact, I've heard that you can go almost anywhere in America and you can say, I'm from Minneapolis. And a Somali-American go, oh, that's where Abdi's from. Can you pass along a message for me? That you have this, this, this reach where people see you as kind of, he's the highest guy, and so he may be able to get things done. And so I'm going to reach out to him. I'm going to ask him something. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I get advice on even the suits that I wear from people in Mogadishu. <laughs> um, and they say, oh, your hair cut is too, you know, you have too much hair, you should cut it. Or, you shouldn't have the beard. And, you, know, <laughs> I, you know, you get all that advice. And in the community, I mean, there's a lot of love and there's a lot of support. It gives you, it is, it is difficult to manage expectation for such a large diaspora, you know, people in London, in, in, in where I grew up, um, in, in, in the Scandinavian countries and in Canada, in, in, in the United States, because the internet has connected everyone. Mm -hmm. Now everybody knows what you've done. And, and Somalis kind of like Minneapolis because we have so many things going here, so many events happening um, that, you know, it is, it is exciting, but it's also overwhelming as well. So how do you deal with that pressure? Because I know, uh, let's see, I have it on a card somewhere. Uh, recently this past April, uh, there was an aid package that was sent over to Bosaso mm -hmm. to uh, Bosaso Somalia, uh, two fire engines and uh, some other equipment. And that feels like a very, I don't know, it's a sister city, but that seems like an unusual step for any councilman. It's, it's, it is unusual, but we've done, you know, City of Minneapolis has donated equipment in the past. You know, other council members have done it in the past. <clears throat> but it is unusual with regards to Somalia because it's the first time a Somali city is getting support from an American city. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time a Somali city has a sister, sister relationship with an American city. So there's a lot of excitement with regards to the community. But I think, you know, uh, the community here, this is what they asked for. You know, they, they, they're also part of the city and they wanted to have us donate. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it is not unusual, but it's not what other council members do. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to give a shout out to my colleague, Jacob Fry, who's right there, council member. <gasps> Who biked all the way here to be here. Some people know who he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, 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 he's the most famous council member. More, no, yeah. not more famous than you. I'm the best looking council no member. <laughs> no one from Mogadishu gives him suit advice or tells him to grow a little beard. That's true, that's true. And he doesn't need that, I don't think. <laughs> so, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, beard, don't grow a beard. Oh, that's it. No, uh, so you've been here since 2006, is that right? Yes. So what has, what has your perception been of how Minnesotans treat the Somali community in that time? I know that uh, there's uh, much more political involvement now, and so people are being elected to office, and there seems that sort of momentum. But on the other side of things, you know, there's uh, like the Ted Cruz campaign, a major presidential campaign, was accusing Minneapolis of having a Sharia law zone mm -hmm. and things like that, where it feels like one step forward, two steps back. 
Yeah, but you know, Ted Cruz was described as Lucifer by, by yes. John Boehner, so, so he's a very you know, interesting individual uh, with interesting uh, policies and, and, and plans. But you know, I, I grew up in, in, in Europe where there is, there's always been a fascist streak in politics, you know, from the National Front in, in, in the UK uh, and, and, and in Jean-Marie Le Pen of, of France. There's always been this, you know, undercurrent of, 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 of fascism. And, you know, we had the Second World War where, you, you know, it was a war against fascism. Uh, but in America, this is kind of new. But it doesn't really alarm me because I've been through that mm-hmm. in Europe. And when I see, you know, when I see Ted Cruz or Donald Trump, it just makes it, you know, it's like what I've heard before, you know. There is change in America. There's demographic shift in America. And people are afraid. There are some quarters of the country where there's fear. And I think some of these leaders, some of these wannabe charismatic leaders, they, they promise a lot. They say, you know, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to, you know, make sure that America is great again. And, 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 and you know, he, he can make his companies great, but he's going to make America great. And, uh, you know, and I think we will overcome this, you know. Yeah. With time, we'll overcome it. Yeah. And, also, and it's also a reaction to Barack Hussein Obama being a president, you know. There was no way that a man who's African-American and has such a strange name was going to be president without a reaction. Mm-hmm. So this is the reaction. We'll see how he goes. Are, are you saying that we'll have a Somali governor in a few years? Yeah, my son can easily be a Somali ah. governor. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, we, we might have to wait a little while. How yeah, old is your son? He's, he's, he's uh, one year and oh. six months. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he's That's uncle. a lot of pressure on him if you're already thinking. I mean, most people think like, oh, I want my son to play basketball or football, but son, you're going to be governor someday. No, I, I prefer him to play basketball if you oh. can get into the NBA, but you know, governor, you know, it doesn't pay that well. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk some about uh, some of the policy initiatives that you worked on. So one of the kind of bigger ones that I think uh, – is more kind of obvious effect in the community is you've been working with uh, taxi cab reforms, mm-hmm. specifically working with uh, different taxi cab unions, but also uh, kind of the rise of Uber and Lyft. Yeah, I mean I think and we thank Jacob Fry for the rise of Uber and Lyft in the, in the city, but you know I mean the, it, with with Uber and Lyft entering the market, it gave us an opportunity to to deregulate the taxi ordinance. Um, and take a, take out what we thought what, what we thought was unfair. You know, what we wanted to do was create a level playing field, allow Uber and Lyft to come into the city, regulate it. You know, because they were still operating without us actually regulating. Mm-hmm. So bring them in, regulate them, but also create a level playing field with regards to the taxis. And you know, a large number of the taxi drivers are from the East African community. So when I was campaigning, you know, they reached out to us and said, "Would you?" help us and it was one of the first groups that we met early on and uh, with the help of Jacob and partnership with him we did co-author the two two, the two uh, ordinances simultaneously so introducing Uber and Lyft but also deregulating the taxi so does it feel like that's done like we can sit back and go there we fixed the taxi problem or does it feel like it needs to be tweaked or changed? I think we right now we're again reviewing it but I think it's it has been quite successful to such an extent that you know the Uber Lyft aspect of, of the ordinance was uh, you know copied by other cities such as Madison, Wisconsin, and other and other uh, municipalities. So it was quite successful. So I know you're a big soccer yeah. fan. Oh, are, yeah. you, are you sad the stadium went to our sister city, St. Paul? Yes. 
<laughs> I'm very sad. But even though I'm on the Green Line, you know, I live in Cedar Riverside, which has, which, which is the only neighborhood in the Twin Cities that has both the blue and the green line. So I can take the green line, take my kid to the Midway, mm-hmm. and but yeah, of course I'm sad. Do you think Minneapolis needed that stadium, though? I think Minneapolis could have had that stadium. I mean, needed is another thing, but yeah. <laughs> but Minneapolis. Yeah, you know, they're gonna build a stadium somewhere. Yeah, but what we, we you know we wanted to have all the franchises. Now <laughs> we only you know we've lost one, and we don't like losing, especially to St. Paul. You know, St. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course not. You have to be a cheerleader for Minneapolis. Of course, and I am. So, um, oh, there's the clock. Um, would you mind doing a quick lightning round for, with me? So I'm going to uh, say the name of different council members, yes. and I want you. <clears throat> I want you, you to say one word that describes them. Okay. And there'll, there'll be a follow-up question later on. Okay. So uh, why don't we start with Jacob Fry? One word. Wonderful. Wonderful. Elizabeth Glidden. Wonderful. <laughs> Is this how it's going to be? No, the... no, no, no. She is. Alondra Cano. Wonderful. Barb Johnson. The president. John Quincy. Not the president. <laughs> Two words. Cam Gordon. The hippie. Blom Yang. The guy from North Minneapolis. <laughs> Lisa Bender. Uh, bicycle. Kevin Reich. Transportation. You're thinking too long. Yes. Lisa Goodman. My mentor. And last, and this is bad because she's my council uh, person, but I don't know if I can pronounce her name. Linnea Palmasano. Oh, you pronounce it? Linnea Palmasano. Linnea. Wonderful. Wonderful. (laughs) And so I ask this, uh, hopefully, to make some news, get some free publicity. But uh, it it was in the news today in uh, City Pages that... There seems to be, I don't know, it, it seems like there's gossip happening mm-hmm. on the city council where people are talking off the record and different council people are disparaging each other. So why, why do you think that's happening? Why, why has it come to that? Is it, is it difficult to govern with the city council? No. We get, we get along quite well. So it's, it's, not, it's never been difficult to govern. But, you know, you have 13 different individuals. You have uh, 26 uh, aides. You know, you have... Uh, countless employees, you know, there's personalities. And politics is about personalities. So sometimes you have friction, sometimes you don't. But we get along. And I'm, you know, I'm the best council member. I get along <laughs> with all my colleagues. I have no I, I would issues. like to hear another council member say that. I've heard it from you, yes. you know, a few times now. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. What, what, what makes you the best? Because I am. I'm just gifted. I'm my, my, ah. I'm, I am my mother's son. <laughs> Maybe someone will write a play about you someday. I hope not. Because, uh, fun fact, Abdi is a former playwright in college. He wrote some plays. No, no, no. I wrote, I wrote a, a small play when I was 16 years old for my GCSE exam. Oh, my mistake. So it wasn't in college, no. And it was, it was, it was, it was great. You, what I remember of it, anyway. Tell us the plot. Tell us the plot. Yes, the, the play was about an Italian family um, uh, that realized that their daughter was dating an, uh, a black man. And I was the father. And um, I based my character on, on Marlon Brando. 
and I was really strict, and I didn't want my daughter, you know, marrying a uh, black guy, which was really strange because I was the only black guy in, in the class. <laughs> so a uh, white person had to play the black guy? Yes, a white girl played the black guy. Oh. Yeah. You had a very progressive play and casting director. I mean, the UK was very progressive. You know, things we th think about here didn't matter in, in London. Like, you know, like, you know, same-sex marriage and that stuff. It was, it, was, it was the norm, you know. It wasn't a big deal. Well, that leads me to thinking about something else. So the Somali political community is yeah. still kind of growing and developing into mm -hmm. itself. And do you think the fact that uh, Minneapolis is a very progressive city and so the DFL party is very strong, do you think that is affecting how they shape politically? Because I think that a lot of Somali Americans would identify differently on social issues than the DFL might. But because it's the party in power is that kind of, you know, you go to the dance with the person who asked you. Yeah, yeah. it depends the person who asked you. Well, and in this case, it's the DFL. Yeah, it depends. Again. Which I don't know if that's a good date or a bad date. Yeah, it's probably not a good date. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the com community is a very new immigrant community. It's conservative. It, 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 it prides on its culture, its religion. And I think when we were even emerging, uh, there, there, was a, there was a bit of an argument within the DFL. But we said, is the DFL a big tent or is it a, an ideological party? And we were told it's a big tent. So mm -hmm. you can have different opinions within the DFL. So I think that's, that's how I look at it. But you know, within the community, I don't know how the future is going to be. But right now, they're very democratic. You know? For example, uh, Bernie Sanders won the state. But Hillary Clinton won the Somali precincts in hmm. Even though she's a woman, and supposedly we don't like women, some people, some people, yeah, some people even say that. Some people say that I don't like women. Why? Why do they say that? Because I they because they that? can't call me a racist because I'm black, so they have to call me something else. So they will throw things at you. Oh, you know, you 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 don't like women. You're misogynist. But then, okay, I in, I've supported Hillary Clinton over a man. I've supported Phyllis Khan over a Somali man. I've supported Kerry Dizak over another man. It looks like I don't support enough men. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the problem. But. Well, let me ask this then. Uh, why, why did you not put your endorsement behind Phyllis Khan most recently? You put it behind <laughs> Mohammed Noor. Because I think Mahmoud has shown over the last two years that he's, you know, he's serious about being in the community and, and, and helping the community. And also the partnerships that we've had you know, has, has shown that this is his time and we should give him a chance. Are you worried that he might be elevated above you and then all the kind of letters and requests that you normally get will move on to him? You know, I think, you know, I'm still far better looking. Than <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, on that note, Abdi Warsami. microphone so I can come to you. So where are our questions? Just raise your hand and I will move over. Yes. Hi. Hi. So you spoke about managing expectations for on behalf of a nation in diaspora. Um, and so my question is mostly about scale and how you as an individual on the council go about kind of partitioning your own daily routines and your own project management uh, in terms of 
know, how can the activities of this session or how can the activities that I do this year affect the people in diaspora, not just here in Minnesota and in Minneapolis, but elsewhere. Does that make sense? That was a really uh, tough question. <laughs> what is it, 7 o'clock in the evening? <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, 7.40. No, I mean, you know, my job is uh, a council member in the city of Minneapolis uh, that represents, the city of Minneapolis represents a ward that has, you know, assignments on the council. We all have committee assignments. And, you know, my job is to take care of my constituents in my ward, Somalis and non-Somalis, and the city of Minneapolis overall. Um, with the diaspora, it's more of something that you do in your spare time. You know, it's something that you do on the weekends. You go to events, you talk uh, to a group of students. You get dignitaries, to, you know, that will come every other week. And you have to make time for them. Usually we make that time in our lunchtime. So somebody calls us, oh, you know, you have a minister so-and-so coming into the city. So, uh, let him come, you know, 12 o'clock on Tuesday. But our main focus, me and my staff, is to do our job. And I think that's what we put 100% in. But, you know, on the weekends, you know, in the evenings, um, you know, the diaspora means a lot to me because I'm a product. I'm a son of the diaspora. And I'm one of the, f I'm the first generation of Somalis that fled th the country and have grown up in the West, you know. In my family, I'm the first person in my family, you know, who grew up in the West. And um, so that's, there. And, and, and I'm very fortunate, and I'm very lucky to have the life that I have and to live where I live and to have the opportunity that I've had. And, you know, I, I want to give back to my people. But that's not the job that I do. I don't run a foundation, I don't run a charity. I run the city of Minneapolis, and that's what I'm focused on right now. Other questions? Yes, way in the back. So what has been your biggest success and what is your biggest hope for what you can accomplish in this role? You know, my biggest success has been the fact that I have, you know, passed many ordinances and then and, and and had an effect on the city of on the city's budget that reflects what I was elected for. That reflects what came out of my constituents when we talked to them. For example, you know, we're a working class ward, 85% renters. Um, we have issues with public safety. We have issues with green space. We have issues with you know, creating opportunities for, for, the, for the people that live in our world. And the city of Minneapolis, um, for whatever reason, was not geared towards addressing those issues. And since I've been on the council, I've worked very hard to bring those issues to the fore. So for example, after school programming, we've never done that before in the city of Minneapolis. Um, in, in terms of public health, uh, you, you, we have, uh, um, you know, diseases that affect uh, the, the East African community, for example, uh, autism. You know, I'm losing my track. Seven fifty something now. <laughs> you know, but you know, so autism, for example, nobody discussed autism in uh, on the council, in not even our, uh, our our health department. 
But autism, even though it's, a, it's, it's an epidemic across the country, where one out of 89 children born in the United States is diagnosed to be autistic, there's one out of 32 children who are born to Somali parents in Minnesota are diagnosed autistic. But yet, we don't discuss it. It's not in the public. You know, nobody's talking about it. So to bring that out and, and, and to set aside money for, you know, on the budget to create awareness, to talk about it, even you know, to go to the county level and, and the state level and to champion you know, the issue of, of autism, I think that's one of the things we've done. But we've passed so many things. For example, Cedar Riverside, my neighborhood that I live in, the roads were all messed up. We've, we've invested $9 million to fix the roads. Now the roads in Cedar Riverside are you know, American standards, not third world standards, which way they were before our election. You know, it's public safety. The relationship between the police and the community has improved a great deal because of the effort that my office has done. You know, working with the police, making sure that our police officers know the East African culture. For example, I have I had one. You know, you, you hear issues of public safety, and there's problems that we have in this country with 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 with, with uh, the African American population that the Somalis are members of and the police. And yet, in my neighborhood. You have young men who want to join the police force. You know, you have you know parents who want their children to join the police force because in Somalia the military was very you know respected, and, and, and our uncles who were colonels and generals were looked upon. You know, with, with you know uniform was wasn't something to to run away from. So I think and and understanding that it kind of transforms the relationship that police have with the community, and you know the community see the police as there to protect them. But we want to be members of the police. We want to diversify the police force. And when you walk down Cedar Riverside, now you see Somali police officers stopping cars and checking non-Somalis, asking them for their papers and you know your driver license and insurance, which was the opposite of what used to happen. So I think those things were some of the biggest success. The biggest success is that the broader community is understanding the Somalis. And the Somalis are, for the, are starting to understand the broader community. So even the relationships, for example, you have in Cedar Riverside, you have anchored institutions. You have the University of Minnesota, you have Augsburg College, you have Fairview, St. Kate's. They didn't really have a relationship with the community. But we've been working with them to create partnerships, to create ways that they can engage the community. Not by giving handouts, we're not asking for money. But we're saying, what about scholarships? What about jobs? If the University of Minnesota wants to invest in communities nationwide and internationally, why shouldn't he invest in communities in his backyard? And I think that has been quite you know, interesting, the relationship that's developing between these institutions and the community. The community feel the institutions are listening to them, and the institutions feel the community is part of them. So I think that's been the biggest success so far. Other questions? Yes, Maggie. This is a this is a just trying to it, it's not so much a question specific to you but uh, to kind of the Somali population in general. Um, my understanding is that Cedar Riverside, the neighborhood there, is actually one of the highest concentrations of Somalis outside of the country of Somalia, like in the world, mm -hmm. more or less. Yeah. How did this historically happen? Because what what is it specially about Minnesota, but also Minneapolis, that is is a magnet for for this community? It's really cool to see all of the like diversification that's been happening, but like what originated from that? How, how did they find us? You know, that's a very interesting question. I, I don't think it's the weather, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but I believe that 
something happened, you know, something attracted the, the early uh, Somali refugees. Somalis were brought to this country by the U.S. State Department because of the civil war that took place in the country after 1991 that, and it's still ongoing. Um, I don't know the exact reason. Was it there was a, a, more opportunities in, term, in terms of jobs here? Um, something brought uh, the, the initial uh, group here and then they called their relatives and families to come um, and, and, and relocate in, 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 in city of Minneapolis and in particular Cedar Riverside. And Cedar Riverside has been described as the Ellis Island of Minnesota because when you, when you have Cedar Riverside, you've had Scandinavians, Norwegians, uh, Swedes living there in past generations. You've had German population living there. You've had Hmong population living there. And now you have the East African population. So every wave of immigrants that was coming into uh, the state and, and that, that located in, in the city you know, locate, were, were, was located in Cedar Riverside because of maybe it's, it's the proximity to jobs, the downtown, maybe it's because of the subsidized housing that was there, but something attracted these communities to come here. And the Somalis are just, you know, just an extension of that experience. Who's next? <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe the Syrians are next. But I have, I have no idea. There's, there's, there's a lot of turmoil in the world right now. This is my brother, so I'm going to ask him a oh. personal question. Not my brother like that, but my brother. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, real quick, if I may just answer her question. As he said, the State Department brought the Somalis to Minnesota because of uh, a few reasons. One, it was very uh, white and they needed diversity. I was told by the State Department when I spoke with them. Two, yeah, I had a system in place, social service system that would help, you know, a new immigrant community. And then third, the, there's, a, I guess, a large Lutheran church presence here, and they had a lot to do with the Somalis coming to Minnesota. So it was chose uh, as a state for Somalis. And as he said, people migrated here after their families. I'm from Texas. I came here. It's our capital. <laughs> so my question is, as you know, you're the uh, first Somali-American city council member. If y'all don't know, he's like our political leader, not only in Minnesota, but throughout the union. He's loved by all Somalis, whether they're in Seattle, Columbus, my hometown of Dallas, Texas. So as being kind of our political ambassador inside of one of the major city halls of America, um, do, you, uh, do you feel like, uh, I guess there's a lot of weight on your shoulder because you're, anything you do you know, wrong might be amplified because you know, you're the first Somali and all eyes are on you and you're our ambassador, basically. No, no, I don't. No, I, don't, I, don't. I mean, I don't, I don't take, I don't take myself too seriously. I, I just do my job. I'm, I'm good at what I do. You know, when I go home, my wife doesn't talk about politics, and she, you know, I don't talk about politics. I spend time with my children and make sure I spend time with my family and take care of, you know, them as well. And I think you have to have that balance. You can't take, you can't make politics everything you do. And you can put all the weight of a, of, of, of a community, you know, as disadvantaged as, as the Somalis are right now in, in this particular time. You know, we are facing, you know, a very difficult period over the last 30 years. We're very proud people who have a country the size of Western Europe and who've lost everything. And it's very difficult. But you have to take care of yourself. When you can take care of yourself and your family, then you can help your community. And I think that's been my approach throughout. You know, do your job, have no regrets, move on, and, and build a life, and build a life for your, for your family. 
And I'm not loved by all Somalis. I wish that was the case, because my life would be a lot easier. But, <laughs> but you know, but, you know. Other questions? Are you an anomaly in your family, of your family of origin, that you are doing uh, active community service? Or is that, do you have other people in your family that have served their communities? Like um, your grandparents, great-grandparents? Yeah, do mean, you have a sense of that history? Oh, yes, yes. You know, I'm not an anomaly. My, my parents, my, my father and my stepfather were, were both politicians. Uh, both rebels, both very successful businessmen. My family is highly educated. You know, we have, uh, my mother was educated, spoke several languages. Um, so, you know, you know, there's a story that I tell to see to young Somalis when I'm talking, you know, when, I, when I'm giving uh, introductions, which is about my mother, who's the person who raised us by ourselves, by herself, six children in, in a country. She spoke Italian, she spoke Arabic, she spoke Somali, but she didn't speak English. And she was upper middle class, and she came to England running away from a civil war. And we were poor, and we were on the dole. But I never went hungry. I never slept in a bad bed. I, I always had food uh, because of my mother's you know, her, her ability to, to, to take care of us. And she inspired in us that we could be better than you know, the environment that we found ourselves in. And she always wanted me to be a doctor because she wanted to be a doctor, and she never... You know, went to, she never finished medical school. And when I, when, you know, when I called my mother and I, and I first told her I wanted to run for office in Minnesota, she said, don't do it for two reasons. Don't do it to make money and don't do it to be famous. Because you can make money in the private sector and you can be famous, you know, you can be an actor or a singer or something. But don't do it, just do it if you think this is a calling for you. And that was the best advice I got from everyone, anyone. And then when I won and I called my mom, and everybody was excited, and like uh, my brother over there said, you're the first, and everybody wants to talk about it, and it's a great success. She was very sober. And she said, oh, you know, I prefer you would be a doctor. So I remember that. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, Abdi Warsami. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you're interested in coming to an upcoming show, you can find all those details at www.t2p2.net.